this business is a journey, not a destination. So when times got really tight, I mean, I didn't make money until year 11. I mean, the recession wiped us out. It was like, should I fold? But what, what kind of kept me recommitting to it were the relationships that I created with my staff and with returning customers, like parents are like, no, you can't stop. Like we want our kid to keep coming back. And I'm like, well, I can't work for free, but I did. Hello, welcome to What's Next. I'm Joel Krogman and this is my show. This is episode five and really this is a banner episode for me because when I started this podcast, it really was an attempt to prove myself wrong. Um, I've had a tape that's been playing in my head for a long time and it says, I don't get stuff done. I can't. I'm not smart enough, charming enough, capable enough, whatever. I'm not enough. My logical brain knows that these are irrational thoughts, but it doesn't really matter because it's in my most vulnerable moments when when that tape plays the loudest. Over the years, I've started many different things with the greatest of intentions. Um, Very few have stuck. And I was beginning to think that the tape was correct. And when I set out to do this podcast, my initial goal was just to get five episodes done. And it was a desperate exercise to believe something different about myself. And it almost didn't happen. It took a year and a half and I almost gave up. So I'm celebrating right now. Even if nobody listens to these, it's a success for that reason. And so I'm genuinely so excited right now. (laughs) Uh, I'm erasing an old shitty tape and replacing it with a new one. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of this journey. Uh, If you're listening to this in some small way you have been, (laughs) I hope there's been some value in it for you. Um, Today on the show is my conversation with Dustin Tester. Dustin is the founder and CEO of Maui Surfer Girls, which is a surf school on the island of Maui that empowers girls with self-esteem through surfing and mentorship. In its 23 years, Maui Surfer Girls has instructed tens of thousands of surf students, which is mind-blowing. Dustin is also a big wave surfer, and she is among some of the earliest women to surf Jaws. She's also just one of the most sincere, most real people I've ever met, and I'm, I'm excited for you to meet her. So please enjoy my conversation with Dustin Tester. Wow. How are you, Dustin? <laughs> good, good, good. Actually woke up feeling awesome, had a great surf lesson this morning, so... I can't be better. Oh man, you're, are you in between sessions right now? Are you going back out? Done. Oh, you're done. We just finished two weeks. Carol, my assistant's doing a third week with a yoga retreat that kind of hired us to do logistics and surf lessons for their yoga retreat. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm technically off, but my assistant's running another camp. But yeah, two weeks. It was beautiful. I was like, oh, we should have Joel out for this session because it was like gorgeous conditions like no wind whales breaching our first week had dolphins come to our boat when we did our sail uh, sunset sail 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then it was like sunset surf session and I forgot my drone and I was like, oh, why did I forget my drone? It would have been such good footage because the hills are really green right now. And I'm like, okay, we got to get our game on. We got to start filming things. (laughs) It was really photogenic. uh, Oh man, that's amazing. It's like big wave surf season in Hawaii right now. So what happens is we're teaching on the west side and the waves are wrapping around the whole island. So we're getting perfect beginner waves. They're not too big, even though it like originated from the North shore, 20 foot. Like today I taught in like waist high waves, but it's like 20 feet on the North shore right now. That's crazy. Yeah. Didn't the big, the big, um, Mm -hmm. it went, it just happened. Mm -hmm. And I heard this, the story of the guy who won that. It was such it was a, a lifeguard, story. no name. <laughs> yeah. Mo said she was watching the interview of him after he won and he midway through the interview, he's like, I got to get back to the tower, actually. I got to cut this interview short because he still he had to go back to work. <laughs> he, I know. What a deserving guy to get it. I looked him up on Instagram. He doesn't even have an Instagram. He's like underground charger and got the wave of the day. I just saw the video. I'll have to send you the link to it because it is unbelievable. It made me cry because it was like playing like Bretta is like Hawaiian singer on the background, like the soundtrack of him just going down the face of like a 30 footer. And it's like they use the sepia tone. So it's like super eerie, but beautiful. Yeah. Those waves are just look like monsters. Giants. And my best, one of my best friends, Andrea was the first woman to catch a wave in that contest. She was in the first heat and I'm like, oh my God, she just made history. Yeah. That's Mo mentioned that too, just this past week, right? Yeah, they they invited the women, first time women ever competed at the eddy with the other men. They didn't even have a female heat. They just said, okay, you want to surf with the big waves? Like, we're going to put you all in the same heat. So each heat had one or two women in it. So That's so cool. Yeah, yeah so it'd be fun to interview Andrea because, I mean, she was one of my coaches a long time ago for one camp, um, and then she became a paramedic, um, and she's mm. the one that towed me into my Jaws waves. Wow, that's so cool. One of the things that I really love about your approach to what you do, and it's not just about the surf school, it's kind of about how you live your life. Yeah. I was just doing a little bit of research and um, one of the lines, it was like a little bio line about you. It said, a trailblazing big wave surfer empowers women to overcome the gnarliest challenges through surf therapy, just like she did. I love that. I love how that is the why behind what you do. Yeah. What were the challenges that that you locked into surfing to help you overcome? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, surfing waves can be very frightening for most people. And for me, it felt natural because I grew up in Maui. But what I did notice growing up here was that I was the only female in the lineup. So for me, it overcame that gender inequality feeling like, hey, how come I'm the only girl out here? And um, my dad was always out there with me, encouraging me to do it. Hmm. And then more and more, it just felt like this is my happy place. I don't care. There's no girls out here. Like I am having so much fun in my body. It gave me so much self-confidence growing up. It it was like kind of how I built my identity and where Hmm. I met my friends. It was like an instant community. And I thought, wow, this was such a gift to me that my dad gave me. Um, to overcome, you know, insecurities or, you know, for me as a teenager, I was, I had so much pinned up, you know, energy and aggression. So I felt like it was a place for me to express myself. And I thought, wow, girls really need this 
kind of environment. So I love creating a community that's supportive for girls not to be intimidated by, by waves. And I don't know, I just felt like it was alchemical, like it helped me overcome so many issues growing up as a young teenager here on Maui. Did you feel that in the moment or was it something that you kind of got in hindsight? I think I got it in hindsight. I was really blessed to go to an outdoor education school. It's called Prescott College. And we were kind of already learning how the environment and outdoor education can be used as a tool for empowerment. So we were like, you know, rock climbing and whitewater kayaking and doing all these land-based extreme sports. But I'm like, oh my God, I grew up on Maui doing this naturally. I didn't even realize I was doing it to become more confident in myself. And so I did come after in college, kind of reflecting on my childhood, like, wow, I was already doing this. And now I think I can be more intentional teaching people uh, empowerment through surfing. So that's where Maui Surfer Girls came from, was right out of college. I wanted to bring that gift to my community. So you grew up on Maui? I did. I grew up on Maui, but my parents divorced. So I actually... Uh, in the third grade, moved to California, but I'd come back to Maui every summer and my dad would just take me on crazy adventures with him in the summertime. So I always felt like Maui is my home base. I went to high school here okay. and then left. So I was, I've was i been off and on the island all my life, but for the last 23 years, I've planted roots here with my Maui Surfer Girls. And your dad, so your dad lived in Maui? Yeah, my dad was born and raised on Kauai. And my grandfather came to the islands in the 1920s to do sugarcane. How old How old were you when your parents divorced? I was, let's see, about eight years old. I was in the third grade. Okay. So eight years old, yeah. And is that about the time when you started surfing? Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly the time I was learning. And, and I think that that's what saved me through my parents' divorce. I was an only child. So for me, having the ocean to feel grounded in my body while my parents were divorcing and I was being kind of kidnapped. My parents, my mom told me, well, we're going to California for a vacation. And then two weeks mm. later, we don't return to Maui. And she's like, we're going to live here now. So uh, when I came back in the summer, my dad took me surfing and I was just like, wow, I need to stay on Maui because I love it here, surfing. And it did feel like a grounding place for me. Yeah. It was kind of a place where none of those problems existed. Yeah. It's like my parents fought a lot. So it was one place that was quiet, you know, and peaceful. And I could just feel grounded in some way because they were so ungrounded and fighting. So it was a safe place for me. And I mean, I'm trying to even imagine as an eight-year-old what you're thinking and feeling. Oh my is. God. Well, my dad would take off for work all day and I would just remember thinking, when is he home? Because he's got to take me to the beach. And I would <laughs> be riding hot laps on my little Schwinn bike until his work truck came home. And I was like, you're taking me to the beach. I don't care. And so he would be like, okay. So yeah, it was definitely my savior, like kept me sane. Even as an eight-year-old, I feel like, oh, it was like reuniting with a lover on the beach. I was like the waves, they were so much fun. And I would surf until my eyes were bloodshot red. I would go home and I remember seeing like, you know, light was foggy because I was so sunburned my eyes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, I would surf until I couldn't paddle my board anymore. Is your dad also a surfer? He is. He grew up surfing in Hawaii. That's that's so cool to be able to do that. With, with my dad. dad. Ugh. And he would take me, even before he taught me how to surf, he would take me body surfing. 
And I tell this story because I was like a cape on his shoulders. I would just hold on to his big broad shoulders as a mm. six-year-old even. And he would just body surf in the shore break at Kanapali Beach. And I would get totally pummeled with him. And it was like he was my Superman and I was his cape going down the face of shore break waves. So he even before they divorced, he exposed me to extreme sports like that, just body surfing. And then he built me a skimboard and he taught me how to skimboard and then that grew into surfing. So he was definitely opening the door to a whole water world for me. <laughs> From that time when you were obsessively surfing, always only ever wanted to be in the water surfing, was the idea then that you wanted to become a professional surfer or? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was exposed more to like the Olympics and I thought, I want to be an Olympic athlete. And this is, of course, be way before surfing turned into Olympic sport. But mm. I definitely wanted to be a, an athlete in whatever form. And then I didn't see professional surfing women. So I didn't know that that was even a path. And back then they didn't have contests for girls. So I imagine if I was a kid now, a girl now, I would be one of pro for sure. Cause it's like a total track you can get into now. So you're 14 or 15 and you're, you're just thinking, I want to get into the Olympics. Yeah. I started playing soccer cause I saw soccer in the Olympics. So I was like, Oh, maybe mm. I can be a pro soccer or Olympic soccer player. So I actually ended up going to college playing soccer for uh, University of Northern Colorado. Oh, nice. So I got pretty far. Yeah, I got to about Division I uh, for my soccer. And then I play, I ran track, and I was one of the only women heptathletes for track. I learned how to do seven events. So I, I got swept away in more of those kind of sports. But when I'd come back to Maui, especially after – soccer in college and track in college, I was so fit that skimboarding was my jam because I was like sprinting down the beach super strong. <laughs> and then when I moved back to Maui, I wanted to big wave surf. So I started surfing big waves with one of my good friends, Andrea Muller. And I never really thought about going competitive. It was more of like surfing for me was more of just like this crazy fun playground. Really? That's really interesting. Yeah, I did local contests, but nothing big. And why Why is that? Why did you think you didn't? I think because competitive surfing for me was a little nerve-wracking because it's such a solo sport. I like team sports for competition, mm. but solo, I was like, hmm. I mean, it was cool. I did a few local contests, but I, I, at the point when I moved back to Maui, I was really focused on Maui Surfer Girls and creating a business here. And in that phase of my life, I was 27 and I was like, well, pro surfing would be cool and all. And I remember getting a little bit jealous of the pros because they would come to Honolulu <laughs> Bay and I'm like, they're getting paid to do these contests and surf the world. Yeah. And uh, I was like, but I'm so in love with teaching surfing and creating Maui Surfer Girls that I was pretty stoked on what I was doing. I wasn't making money yet back then. But now those yeah. pros that I looked up to are parking cars and they're not a pro anymore and I'm making more money than them. So I feel like I'm glad I stuck mm. with the plan of just being a business owner. So sports and surfing specifically, but kind of sports in general really had a lot of your focus as you were growing up. But the other thing that seems to be a theme through your life is you being a, a catalyst or a conduit to help other girls experience healthy identity and, and growth and their own self-confidence. Mm -hmm. At Prescott College, you were, what were you working on specifically at Prescott? Well, they had this incredible program called Therapeutic Use of the Wilderness, Wilderness hmm. Therapy. And I 
got to be in all these courses, like psychology courses, small group dynamics, outdoor leadership. So I was learning soft skills and hard skills, like how to be a good communicator, how to be a good uh, leader, as well as learning how to rock climb and doing all these hard skills. So I was like, wow, I want to really be a leader in the waves. And I want to teach people how to surf. And it's been my passion my whole life. And thankfully, I could draw upon my own vulnerabilities as a human. (laughs) I had a bad Mm -hmm. nervous breakdown when I was 21 before I went to Prescott College. And I think that cracked my heart open to like how vulnerable we can be and like Mm. how our reality can just melt away. Like depression is crazy. And I thought, wow, I again found surfing, fell in love again after that breakdown because it helped me get out of my funk. And surfing, save, surf. surfing did. Yeah. Mm. It saved my life when I was like 22 before I went to Maui or went to uh, Prescott College. So when I went through my nervous breakdown, I, I got back into surfing again. It kind of helped me get back on track. I found Prescott College. So at that point, I was totally convinced that surfing can be a tool for healing. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be a business owner because I'm just a surfer girl, you know. And Mm. so when I moved back to Maui, it was a Hail Mary pass. Like, I'm going to try this and I don't know what I'm doing, but I just faked it till I made it, you know. And luckily, this idea of empowering girls through surfing and outdoor education really stuck. A lot of parents were really happy with the program that I created and it grew from there. Conquering something that is like big and scary, like a wave. Sure. Definitely seems like all the elements coming together to create a really unique opportunity that develops self-confidence. Yeah. It was, it was surprising to me. I mean, I knew it did it for myself, but to actually get the reflection of our parents and customers that have gone through the programs, like it really does work. And it's not a heavy handed, oh, let's get girl power through surfing. It's more of like just providing those experiences, having really positive female role models at the camps. Uh, these water women's that are just incredible, thankfully, that have worked for us through the years. And just providing that safe place was enough for for people to really understand, like, this is a a place where you can g- gather more than just a surf lesson, but an actual, like, way of life, how to communicate, how to be in your body. Parents said, you saved my kid from an eating disorder because she was starting to restrict eating. And now she sees that food is fuel to go surf Mm. and enjoy joy, Mm. you know, have joy in your body instead of this restriction. And so, yeah, I was, I was impressed with how well it was received. You still there? Dustin's computer just died. (laughs) So she's finding her charging cable right now. Just an interruption for a technical note here. When Dustin's computer reconnected, the mic, the podcast microphone did not reconnect, even though the software said it was. Um, so it was recording using her earbud microphone, and that's why it sounds a little different from here on out. All right, back to the show. Okay, there great. Is. There it is. I see it now on the on the. Okay, we're back. <laughs> we're back. Okay. <laughs> um, Where were we? So, so you start Maui Surfer Girls. In 2002, 2003, 2001. I should know that. (laughs) It's okay. So you start Maui Surfer Girls in 2001, and you've been running now for 24 years, 23 years. 
23. Yeah, I think this is our 23rd year. Okay. And um, that's a long time. I know. I, f- I feel like I survived three major catastrophes, 9-11, the recession, and then the pandemic. So we're bulletproof now. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we survived all three of them. <laughs> you know, I think that the nature of doing the kind of work that you, that you do, which is where you're your, your ultimate goal is to have an impact. It's not really to make money. Right. Even though that's necessary to, in order to ultimately achieve having an impact. Yeah. But I, I, you know, just from our interactions, I know that you're driven so much more by the idea that somebody's life might be changed rather than how much the camp costs or, you know, those, those kinds of details. Right, right. That is also a really difficult thing to navigate um, because... Yeah you know, because your heart is so much more connected to those kinds of outcomes. Um, But also it's the stress of the business side of things that keeps you up at night that causes some confusion or some fog in terms of how you make decisions and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just really curious about how you've figured out how to maintain over all these years and some of the lessons you've learned along the way. Yeah, I feel like my Prescott College experience, the slogan that they instilled in me is education is a journey, not a destination. Mm. And I kind of took that philosophy into my business where it's like, this business is a journey, not a destination. So when times got really tight, I mean, I didn't make money until year 11. I mean, some, some years I had money, but I mean, the recession wiped us out. So you're right. It was like, should I fold? There was a couple times where I'm like, oh my God, I'm 10 years in and I'm not making money. I can't do this. I'm like balance transferring credit cards and it was just scary, many scary moments. But what what kind of kept me recommitting to it were the relationships that I created with my staff and with returning customers, like parents are like, no, you can't stop. Mm. Like we want our kid to keep coming back. And I'm like, well, I can't work for free. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but I did. I mean, I worked for free for 10 years almost. I mean, I paid my bills, but then it would be like, yeah, really scary times in there. Um, yeah. And then TripAdvisor came along and my surf school started to get busy. And that was the only reason I didn't quit was our business, our year around surf school was getting more and more consistent. And I could pay my bills because before my camps were one time a year. So I had to make that money from the summer camp try and last all year. Mm. And I couldn't. There was no way. So because of TripAdvisor, we we kept our business going afloat. You you were like a top hit on TripAdvisor for um, surf schools in Maui? Yeah, we somehow, someone Facebook messaged me like, Dustin, you realize you're number one on TripAdvisor for activities on Maui? Mm. And I thought, activities? That's crazy because there's like, you know, all these sailing, um, you know, huge companies that have been here 30 plus years. Um, and we were number one. And we just got this flood of bookings. Um, and then we, and then before that, I was just hustling to the, the concierge and brown nosing and competing with like big, huge surf schools in Lahaina that weren't sending me business because they were working with their big corporate schools. And then, yeah, we got direct bookings where I didn't have to give a commission and I was getting straight from TripAdvisor. And then we realized that, you know, if we keep our customer service really high, which we do, We'll always hold that number one spot. And I'm proud to say that we're still number one in Lahaina. And yeah, we have like a thousand, twelve hundred five star reviews or something. I've lost track. Wow. 
That's really cool. So, yeah. so that enabled you to sort of turn the corner from from it being turn the corner touch and go to being something that had had some like long term sustainability. Yeah, and I, I mean, of course, there was some you know big time growth pains because I was a one woman show, and then suddenly I had all this surplus in business coming in. So I had to hire people. I had to get systems in place. I had to hire like an answering service, and then eventually I hired a manager to keep up with the emails. So that turned us into a full year round surf school. And then I was also managing all the surf camps that I was organizing um, and hiring staff for overnight surf camps. So it became very complicated, but I was able to make money at it. (laughs) And then now I'm like, finally have a place where I have management for the camps and the surf school. So I could just relax a little more and not juggle so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Your initial vision when you started the surf school was, I just want to have a place that through surfing can empower girls who could benefit from it. Or it probably could be a lot more eloquently said. Oh yeah. No, you did it. Yeah. (laughs) It was all about empowering teen girls. Yeah. And I, I felt like that was kind of my heart work and that was my, my, my life work. And then the surf lessons were, were gratifying. It's two hour lessons that we get to, you know, impact a tourist life or a local girl's lives. Mostly tourists come to our surf school, but those week long programs really um, were soul touching and like really felt like I don't even have to make money because I'm really improving the lives of these girls that are coming through the camps. Okay. And the surf lessons were just like ex- extra money. Yeah. that's a, I, You just used a term there your life's your life work mm-hmm. when did you come to that realization that that's actually what's going on here oh definitely the first year I mean I couldn't believe the first two-week program in 2001 June 2001 at the end we have this campfire closing ceremony and the girls each one of them would say how much this two week because we at that first time we did a two-week camp on and these girls we got to know for two weeks we lived with them we surfed with them we eat with them and they were in tears they were like this camp changed my life I don't know so like I was like whoa it really changed your life they're like yeah it changed my life Mm. and so that's what gave me the energy to go like wow maybe there is something to this it's pretty magical yeah the next year 9-11 hit and girls weren't signing up for the camp so I almost didn't do it again because we got seven girls the next year instead of 20 like the year before. Yeah. It seems like there was multiple decision points along the way of... of I could have easily given up. Yeah. Or, you know, like if if somebody was maybe on the outside advising you, they would have said, yeah, probably, probably hang it up. And I did get that. I got that all the time. My dad wouldn't tell me that because he knew how much I was like really invested because he's a business owner, but he was like kind of questioning it for some of those lean years but yeah i had other people in my life like why are you doing this why don't you just get a job yeah money is the thing in my life that as for lots of people but for me just because of my upbringing money was often very stressful and you know money's the thing that that mm-hmm. that's like that's where i draw the line but you said the term your life work which i think that's where happiness is when you're doing the thing mm-hmm. that is your life work, that's your purpose. That's, that's mm-hmm. doesn't have to do with money. Yeah. It, yeah. It doesn't have to do with money. All the, it doesn't have to do with all the things we're afraid of. Fear doesn't really come into that. It's, it's about like love, the exchange of, mm-hmm. of the exchange of yourself with somebody else. Yeah. And it creates value that money could never create. So 
what was going on in your mind as you weighed those things out? You're looking at years of debt. You don't really know what's on the other side of that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good question. There were some pivotal moments. I remember the 10-year camp just being a nightmare. Like we, we were so excited to hit 10 years of Maui Surfer Girls, and I must have had everything go wrong at that camp. I got the flu. We had a camp head lice outbreak. <laughs> we had, I mean, it was like every day my director, my assistant director would be like, Dustin, we have to talk. And my whole heart would sink and I'd go, no, what's next? And then at the end, I, I was like, you know, $15,000 in debt. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Mm. And then there was many girls. And actually my assistant director said, Dustin, you can't stop. And I was like, what do you mean? I can stop. I'm the business owner. This isn't making financial sense. And she's like, yeah, but think about these girls' lives that you're changing. And I'm like, ah, you're right. Maybe next year will be a better year. And then we got into TripAdvisor and then the surf school grew. So it was like those moments that were just about to throw in the towel my friendships and those relationships I created at the camps didn't let me give up. Mm. <laughs> they weren't going to let me give up. I don't know. I was meant to be or something, but I can't even tell you the thought. It was just more of like these heartstrings kept getting pulled. Like I would feel so exhausted from a camp and so dismayed when I'd see my credit card bills. Yeah. And then I would get a booking or I would go surf with my surf school and have the best surf lesson and go, oh, gosh, I got to keep this going. It'll come around, you know? So where do you think, where do you think that comes from? Where, what do you think is the thing that's, that's keeping it going? Yeah. I mean, it's keeping it going. I mean, I, I definitely believe in a higher power and I know that my my grandfather built the cabins that we were in and I feel mm. him some days in the water and at the camp mm. like you got this you got this it's like the secret voice in my head that's like you can do this mm. and then yeah just the energy I feel in the ocean is spiritual too like I would not want to be anywhere else but teaching surf lessons in this gorgeous area that I'm in like I don't, I mean, half the time I would be like, I can't even be, believe I'm getting paid for this, you know? <laughs> and then I would, and I'm like, okay, I can do this, still keep it going. And yeah, yeah, even though I was still in debt, I was just like, my dad would be like, just balance transfer another time. And I get all these balance transfers. And somehow I just kept track of all the credit card bills and just slowly, you know, it's like anyone with like a, I don't know, one of those, uh, you know, student loans and these, these, Doctors have crazy student loans that they pay off for like 10, 15 years. So I just thought of like, well, most professionals have some form of debt and they get through it so I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I just became my own inner coach and the, the land gave me energy and just connected to my grandfather's leadership. He was a leader in Lahaina. So I just tapped into the ancestral energy. I don't know. I know that you're kind of at a point where you're asking the question of like, you know, the, what's next for, for the camp, for you. Yeah. Um, you're in a sport that is sort of like, has this, um, has this like young, high energy spirit to it. Right. And you definitely have that without yeah. a doubt. Um, but you've also shared with me a bit about how, like, there's a certain energy level that's required to do everything that you've been doing the question is like, do I have the energy to continue to do this at this pace, at this level? And if the answer to that is no, then what do I, what's next? Like, how do I, under, how do I figure out what's next? 
I know. It's crazy. It's the same thing I just spoke to you about because I was thinking, God, I can't keep doing these camps. We just ran one last week. But oh my God, after I do, and even this morning, I taught a surf lesson and I'm like, oh my God, I can't stop this. Like, I love what I do. And even though you're right, it, it requires a lot of physical, emotional, spiritual energy to create these experiences that are pretty empowering. Um, there's a certain level of support energetically that keeps coming either through the participants that like literally cry and hold me and go, thank you so much. You just saved my life. I'm a mother of three and I have no energy for my family. And now I feel like I can go back to my family and give them energy. And mm. so I get that feedback and I'm like, Whoa, it, it fills me with energy. Like, okay, keep it going. But you're right. I have some big business decisions. I got to decide on if I'm going to like buy property and make our own home base here at Maui Surfer Girls which will really require a lot of energy. But I think what I'm learning as a business owner over time is the art of delegation. Mm -hmm. And I really want to draw in some key players that want to co-create something really beautiful and have a younger person, a younger version of myself, ideally, to come in and just see the vision and make it happen. And I will be in the background, foreground, cheering someone on, helping me with it. But I don't have to be that frontline person anymore. So, you know, if it's meant to be, I'll draw that person in or draw that team, the next team in, which I'm kind of struggling to do right now where I'm having a lot of people starting their careers in other ways. So I'm losing some key players that makes me second guess growing the business further because my key veterans are going to nursing school or firefighting school or being a paramedic. So it, it will take a new generation coming up. And we'll see. Hopefully that'll happen. Yeah. As you think about what you leave behind, how do you define what was successful? Yeah. I mean, I feel those bonds that I created with these campers, some of them I've seen grow up, uh, has been what I value the most. There's our friendships that have been created through Maui Surfer Girls and the feedback I've gotten from them of like how much um, the camp made a difference in their lives. So I feel like that's what I'm taking away are just the success stories, the growth that I've felt as a leader, reflecting back on old camps of like, wow, we survived that year, you know, that 10 year anniversary camp, looking back and going, wow, if I can get through that camp, I can get through anything, yeah, you know? Yeah. And yeah, just even the hardships, it hasn't been all easy and fun and all this like girl power stuff. It's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So thinking about how I've overcome so many obstacles financially, emotionally, and then, you know, even like a Lucy who was a 14-year-old that turned into my assistant director, seeing her become a paramedic, even though I'm like sad that she's not a part of the camps anymore, but just to see her life path that I get a witness and be a part of has been really gratifying. And um I just think the next generation, I've got so many parents that are like, I hope you still run your camps in 15 years because I have a, you know, a three-year-old and she'd want to come mm -hmm. or whatever. And I'm like, okay, can I keep it going 15 <laughs> more years? But, but yeah, to watch, to watch what has happened and if I could continue it, it'd be amazing. Or just, like I said, find a dream team that can take it and run and keep it going would be like really gratifying to see it live on past me. Yeah. Uh, that would be a success. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think do you think that it's 
in some way, it's partly the obstacles and it's what makes it really hard to do that also makes it worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. It's both. I mean, I've definitely still get anxiety, panic attacks before a teen camp program, which I've done so many of them, but it's like, I value the lives that are coming and they're my babies too. So to have that level of responsibility of 24 teenage girls for two to three weeks is a lot to handle. And um, so I do go through the what ifs before a camp and you know, I've had ER visits, I've had some close calls with boards hitting heads and like, you know, different illnesses at camp. So I, I take it very seriously, uh, the safety. Yeah. And then, but then when it's said and done and it's over, I, the relief I feel when I put them on the airplane, <laughs> like, okay, they're, they're good. We had fun. It was awesome. But yeah, now they're, they could go home. And then it, and then when it settles and I get the emails from the moms, like, oh my God, my daughter is so different. Like she's changed even in two weeks at your camp. And and that helps me go, okay, that was worthwhile. Like keeping up at night, you know, to have those emails and that reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know from Mo for sure. I mean, when she went to the camp this past year and had such a huge impact on her and even still months later, things that, that she experienced and continue to come out. The life lessons. The life lessons. Yeah. 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 And the connections. Right. And I love that the, the women can get to know each other. It's not even about the staff. It's like the people that attend the camps become friends for life and travel to see each other. So to build community, I feel like is my life work and hmm. I'm happy to continue it in whatever form it takes. Even if we don't get this property, I'm just happy to keep running these camps, especially after the one we just had. It was pretty special. We had dolphins and whales and tears and campfire nights and uh, stars. Like I still pinch myself 23 years later. That's really cool. That's really, really great. Thanks so much for doing this. You're so welcome, Joel. I'm so excited to come out and see the camp and experience it firsthand at at some point here. Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, we'll talk soon, Joel. Okay. Bye. Okay, aloha. You can learn more about Dustin and Maui Surfer Girls by visiting MauiSurferGirls.com. Their website link is in the episode description. If you have ever had a desire to try surfing, this is the place to do it. They have a lot of different programs and camps and day lessons that they offer all year long. It's just a really special place where they want to see everybody overcome whatever's holding them back, grow in self-esteem, live the best lives that they can. Dustin has created an environment where they're really good at that. Also, I want to say a special thanks to Mo, my wife, for connecting me with Dustin. Thanks, hon. All right. So, five episodes. You know, I've noticed something um, that I'm I'm narrowing down my focus as I think about what gets me excited to explore people's stories through these conversations and one thing I'm noticing is that you can just tell when someone is doing what they're meant to do. There's something about them, something about how they're living that is magnetic and it's not charisma. It's not charm. It's their life is going in the direction, in a direction that has meaning in spite of the cost of going in the, in that direction. They seem to be some of the happiest people around and, and I'm, I'm excited to explore that more because that's something that I want more of in my life. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. 
it really means a lot to me. It really, sincerely, it means a lot to me. I'll see you next week for episode six.